Right? Why don't we welcome Pastor Chris as he comes? I'm always intrigued when I read in the Bible how uh, suffering is not only part of the Christian life, but is an important part. That it's actually the suffering that teaches us things. And sometimes I wonder what that is. And now I think I know. It's having to sit here on a warm morning without being dismissed. You guys can actually take it, leave the stage. Sorry, did I? See, the heat is already getting to me. This morning is what we call our dream service. And it's because I don't know whether you realise this, this is the last service of 2019. The next time we meet together, it will be 2020. A big year. And so normally at, at this service, we encourage people to sort of stop worrying about what 2019 was like and start to plan and get excited and build plans and vision and momentum for 2020. But hey, who's too tired for that? <laughs> I mean, it's a great in theory, isn't it? But who's got, who's got over Christmas? Right? I mean, and there's New Year's still to come as well. Um, and so I thought, what a... What's God's perspective on this? And so I thought, I'll, be clear, I'll find a good scripture on, on, on dreams and visions uh, and what God wants for our future and how he wants us to plan. And so I, I, I was praying about this. And unfortunately, the only scripture that God gave me was one I didn't want to use. Um, because it's, it's not actually about our dreams and visions. It mentions them, but it actually refers more to what God wants for our lives. And I thought, well, perhaps that's important. Strange thought. And so I thought, let's go with it. So Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 is a scripture that I think most of us have heard many, many times. It's a bit of a controversial one. It's one I love and I won't go into the explanation that I usually give of the fact that it's poetry and it, you've got to read it as poetry because it's not... <laughs> And that's as far as I'm going to go. Um, but it says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike. Now, to a lot of us, I think that, that the scripture probably sounds a very um, politically incorrect and uh, also a bit ageist. You know, why should young men have visions and old men have dreams and all this sort of thing? Forget all of that. It's poetry. Those five lines mean one thing and one thing only. God is going to pour his spirit on all people. Say after me, all people. Men, women, slaves, servants, rich people, poor people, short people, tall people, redheads. Hey, redheads are going to take over the world. And so, this is, and yet, we can't just pluck Joel 2.28 out of the middle of the book of Joel. We actually need to know what, what, what's Joel about? What, what is he on about when he, he suddenly throws us this idea that God wants to pour his spirit above, upon everybody? 
and that's going to have an impact and, and a change and something is going to change in people because of that. And so if we look at the book of Joel, it's fairly short, it's only about three chapters. It's unique in that there's actually no clear indication of when it's written. We suspect it was about the time of Ezra or Nehemiah, but it doesn't actually say. And the other thing is that he actually alludes to or quotes from just about every other prophet in the, book of, in the books of the prophets. So he's well read. And the other thing is, most prophets accuse Israel of, a, of specific sins and tell them, woe is you, God is going to come down and absolutely shatter you because you have done X. Whereas Joel just says, yeah, God's not happy and uh, yeah, at some point in the future you're going to cop it. He's not particularly specific. And he, we th this is possibly because he thinks that you and I are like him. We've read all the other books of the prophets, so we know what's going on. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah I thought so. Yes. So that's your homework for this week. Find out what Joel's talking about. And so he starts off by focusing on something he calls the day of the Lord. And this is, this is a description of events where God comes in a powerful way to either save his people or to confront evil or both. And so he starts off looking in the past and recalls a day of the Lord against Egypt where God brought down the plagues against Pharaoh's people. And he then announces another day of the Lord, but this time it's in the future. And he says it's an imminent disaster coming on Jerusalem and God is not coming to save his people, but to confront their own evil. Nobody's shaking their boots yet? Good. Too hot. And so it's interesting that when he uses both the past and the future examples, Joel pleads with the people of Israel to repent before God. He calls on the people to pray and repent, and he says in verse, chapter 2, verse 12, this is why the Lord God says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothes in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. And Joel, and you sort of think, well, why has Joel said that? What, what's the significance there? It's because he's pointing out the fact that a lot of people repent outwardly, the tearing of the clothes, you know, oh, woe is me, I'm so sorry, I'm such a bad person. Is everybody looking? Um, whereas God says, no, 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 I don't want an outward show. I want you to inwardly repent. I want the real deal. I don't want you to pretend. I need true repentance for me to be able to do anything. And so he, after saying that God's not interested in fake stuff, that he wants a genuine change, he then goes on to say why they should repent. And in verse 13, he says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Has anybody ever heard that scripture before? Joel here is quoting straight out of Exodus. There's a, a little story I told earlier in the year about a golden calf and how Moses had only been gone for 40 days and they already decided that, never mind what Moses told us, let's do everything that he told us not to do, uh, build an image, worship that and, and uh, pretend it's God. And at that point, God proved himself to be merciful. He proved himself to be compassionate slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And so Joel is saying, look, 
if we repent, this is the God we're repenting to. He's not going to punish us when we repent. Anybody happy about that? Good. Start repenting. So, leading from that repentance, he begins to paint a picture of God's dream and vision for his people. And this is where it starts to get exciting for us. Although not too exciting. Because the first thing he does, he draws on the promises of Isaiah and Zephaniah and Ezekiel about a future day of the Lord where God will confront evil among the nations and turn their violence back on themselves and bring justice to right all wrongs. And that's in in chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, I will gather the armies of the world into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will judge them for harming my people, my special possession, for scattering my people among the nations and for dividing up my land. And then he draws on the promises of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah that God's final day of justice will be followed by a restoration of the entire world and a new Eden where God's presence in Jerusalem will flow out like a river and bring about a cosmic renewal. And he says that in in verse 20 of chapter 3 when he says that Judah will be filled with people forever, Jerusalem will endure throughout all generations, I will pardon my people's crimes which I have not yet pardoned, and I the Lord will make my home in Jerusalem and with my people. And finally, there's a promise about how one day in the future, God's own spirit, his personal life presence, will fill not just the temple, but all of his people. And here Joel draws upon the promises of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And the idea is that God's spirit would come and transform and empower his people so they can truly love and follow him. And we've read that already. It's Joel 2.28. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. And I guess if you've had a peek at the book of Revelation, which is the book at the end of the Bible, for those of you who haven't got that far yet, we see that these three promises are mirrored in that book. And it's easy to dismiss these things as events that are to come and are not for our present age. And yet, for that third one, we know. We know, and and Brendan talked about this, about turning up. We know that the people who turned up and stayed in the upper room were actually visited by God's Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God has been made freely available to those who are followers of Jesus. So those promises in verses 28 to 29 are actually applying to us right now. We are capable, in fact, God is imploring us to actually put those things to use. We live in an age where the Spirit of God is freely available. So let me put it this way. If you're willing to concede that God's plans for you in 2020 are likely to be more beneficial than yours could ever be, then we need to look at these verses because they give us a key to experiencing God's dreams and visions for each and every one of us. It's merely a case of seeking God's spirit. Who hates it when scripture's simple? You thought there was going to be a complicated plan of how 2020 was going to turn out better than 2019. But God's cry, God's plea, is always come closer to me. 
And I believe his reminder as we start a new year, as we start the year 2020, is that if we want to do anything significant, the first step we've got to take is a step closer to God. Because in these verses, he's promised us that he will pour out his spirit on all people. And what happens when we get closer to God? People will dream dreams, see visions, prophesy. And we need to start believing that this can happen to us as we get closer to God. God will tell us through dreams and visions and prophecy what he wants us to do in 2020. We don't, we don't actually have to worry about it. Is, is anybody a bit tense about 2020? Because God says, relax. Don't worry about the tension that your plans bring. Rest in the knowledge that my, my plans for you are better than that, and I'm carrying them out. You don't have to carry out God's plan. He's quite capable of doing that himself. And so we need to recognize that God's already poured out his spirit. All we have to do is press in and see what transpires. The least that can happen is prophecy, dreams and visions. Whoever you are, whatever your station in life, God plays no favorites. If you seek him first, as it says in Matthew 6.33, all you need will be added to you. And I believe that's God's message for us for 2020. That if we seek him first, our plans and our purposes will become obvious. The things that you desire. He doesn't say let go of your dreams and visions. He says seek first his presence, his spirit. And then all of these things will be added. It's a question of just getting our priorities in the right way around. And so we need to be a people of prophecy, dreams and vision. And I believe that we can do that. Can I ask you all to stand? Can I get Deno to come up? Hey, can you all just close your eyes, lift your hands to heaven this morning? I want to pray over all of us here. Because I, I want to pray that God fills you with his gifts. It might not be the gift of prophecy. Go and read up on all the spiritual gifts. Pick one you want. Pray. Believe. And start stepping out in faith. Lord, I thank you that we are your people. We are your people of the Holy Spirit. We are full of your spirit. And we take hold of your gifts. And we use them in the name of Jesus to build up people, to build up your name, to glorify you, Lord. Because we are capable, we are bold. We are your hands and feet on this earth. Empower us with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. You may actually be standing here this morning and you might think, well, it's all very well, but I've never experienced the Holy Spirit. I don't even know who Jesus is. And he's certainly not Lord of my life. The great thing about the Christian faith is that we worship a God who wants a relationship with us. He'd actually, I hear a lot of Christians talk about this, this, odd, this, this odd phrase. They say, yeah, I'm in with the, with the man upstairs. I'm thinking, what's he doing upstairs? Or, you know, the, the, the guy in the clouds? Yeah, got, I'm tight with him. I mean, no, you're not. He, 
he's not in the clouds. He's not upstairs. He's not a faraway figure. I mean, I've got to admit, my initial thoughts as a, as a child, because um, I grew up in a fairly traditional church background, I actually envisaged a, a really old man with a white beard with a, a high-tech throne that had a, a smite button in one of the arms. And as soon as I stepped out of line, it was like zap, and a bolt of lightning had come down and fry me. Because that was my impression. When I discovered that Jesus died and rose again on a cross 2,000 years ago so that I could actually have a relationship with him, it transformed my idea of who God was. And that actually started with a step. There are no tickets to heaven. I'm not here to, to hand out a ticket and say, okay, you're in, you're in. No ticket, okay, you're out. What we do is we start people on a pathway, on a journey. You know that when you meet somebody for the first time, you basically shake hands and exchange names and, and possibly phone numbers and agree to meet again later to deepen the relationship. And this morning, that's what I, I'm encouraging you to do. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this morning would be a good time to stick out your hand and say, hi, I'm Fred, John, Susan, Martha, Jane, Tim. And reach out to take his hand so that you can actually start a relationship with Jesus. And all, and all we do is actually make a declaration to actually follow him. And so I'd like us... Perhaps, uh, can I just ask you, while you're all standing there, close your eyes. If that's you this morning, you've never actually given your life to Jesus, or you've, you know you've done it before, but you're not walking in a relationship with him. While everybody's eyes are closed, can you just raise your hand quickly so I know who we're praying for this morning? Is there anybody here who'd like to do that? Because we're going to pray anyway, but it'd be great to catch up with you afterwards. Thank you, I see that hand. Okay, open your eyes. Look to me. And, let's, and repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, from this moment on, I reject my old life. I reject what I've worshipped. And I turn towards you. And I worship only you. From this moment on, I declare you are my Lord and my Saviour. I look forward to building a relationship with you as we move forward. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Brendan. So good. Let's give Pastor Chris a hand.